What up, what up, what up, everybody? This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dennis Tien. With me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, the CEO of Hedge Better, Justin Fine. Justin, what's going on, my friend? How are you doing tonight? You know, it's another cold, cold uh, Monday in Boston, and uh, you know, starting to get dark early. The winter's really just starting to hit in full effect. Well, Justin, all that's expected this time of year, but what isn't expected before Thanksgiving this time of year is that the Patriots are basically out of it. That, that's yeah. what's not expected. No. Like football season is essentially over in New England. That's what's not expected. We expect it to get cold. We expect it to get dark this time of year. We don't expect the Patriots to be basically playing for draft position in mid-November. No, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we were in this position. I mean, maybe you can, but you know, to, yeah, well, to, that's because it's never happened in right, your life. Exactly. I, mean, I, I would, I would go back to 1992. We're going to, we're going to get into that. So let's start right away. We got a great, um, we got a great episode tonight. Lots of great topics, a little bit more around the league, a little bit less focused on new England tonight, just because there was no game. We were all give we were getting a bye week. So I may call it a respite from, from the Patriots this weekend, but there'll be, a, we'll talk a little bit more about things going on elsewhere little bit less about the paths tonight. Let's get right to it. Justin, we'll begin with the kickoff. That's the opening take that sets the table for the rest of the podcast, Justin. And um, we were watching games together yesterday, and it was really kind of a weird experience because usually this time of year, we're watching games and we're watching out-of-town scores because we're jockeying for playoff position, watching the Patriots jockey for playoff position and seeding. Um, and, and yesterday what we were doing was actually very different. We were jockeying for draft position, which is a unique thing that we've never really experienced before, uh, or at least not in a long, long, long time in New England. And as I was watching games across the league yesterday, and it, it really hit me that this Patriots-Giants game this Sunday has the potential to really affect and alter the future landscape of the NFL. Because I think, Justin, there is a lower tier in the NFL. I think there are three teams that are the three worst teams in the NFL. And I think the Patriots are one of those three teams. I think the Carolina Panthers are one of those teams. And I think the New York Giants are one of those teams. And when the Patriots and the Giants play this Sunday, Whichever one of those teams happens to lose is going to be better positioned in the NFL draft this 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 spring. And you know, it's it, it's kind of a funny thing, and it makes me think back to a long time ago, 1992. Dan Marino and the Dolphins came up to Foxborough right in the last week of the year, and they and the Patriots played their one of their best games of that season and almost beat them. But in losing that game. That set the table for the Patriots to draft Bledsoe. And I would submit to you, Justin, that if the Patriots didn't get Drew Bledsoe, they might not have got Bill Parcells as the coach, and they might be the St. Louis Stallions right now. And I really believe that. Like, if it, that one game radically altered the future landscape of the NFL, I think this game Sunday has the potential to do the same in a similar way, not necessarily a good way, but a similar way. Whereas the loser of this game is going to be set up for draft position in a way uh, in a year that, that it really might make a difference. Your thoughts, Justin. 
I think it's a hundred percent. Well, actually, let's back that up. In order for this game to really make a difference, I think there's kind of a lot that that needs to happen, right? And that kind of goes back to the conversations we've we've been having in previous episodes, which is that like I hate to say it, but there needs to be a serious shakeup in with either the coaching of the front office going into this this next draft and you know obviously what we're talking about uh, the implications for uh if whether you win or lose this game whether you pick second third fourth fifth next year in the in the 2024 draft i don't think any of that matters if bill belichick is still running the show here in new england because I just don't expect a you know an old dog to learn new tricks. I don't expect him um, to you know do, to do anything crazy. I, I if Bill Belichick was here, I would expect him to trade that pick down um, in in take in, in reach on somebody in the in the middle or end of the first. Like so, to say whether this game has is going to have a significant impact or not on the Patriots' future, I think we have to start by asking who's going to be a part of the Patriots' future moving forward. Now, if we were to assume that Bill isn't going to be here and we're going to have new management and new leadership heading into this next draft and this next season, well then yes, this game means a lot, right? Because, you know, when you're dealing with the high first round draft capital, I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that, you know, there are plenty of missed targets in the first round. I mean, not everybody pans out, um, but I don't think there's any denying that your chances to get a, a franchise altering impactful player right off the bat are higher in the, the you know, especially in the, in, in the beginning of the first round, the first couple of picks. So I think this is a big opportunity for the Patriots. Um, you know, if they were able to get a, a top three or four draft pick next year, I think that's um, going to go a long way towards helping this team maybe uh, start to heal in, in um, not only that, but maybe, bring some optimism back to New England. Like, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry. And sorry if I'm rambling, but I feel like one of the things that New England needs right now is just an injection of like a fresh face that brings confidence to the organization. Yes. And, but I think, I think you hit on something super important, which is that, you know, first of all, you said a lot, I'm going to, I'm going to go one by one. The first thing is that to get the fourth, fifth, third pick in this draft, is really not the the golden ticket here to really have the draft capital and to have the leverage and to have the ability to, to to do what I think we both believe needs to be done, which is to bring in that fresh face, to bring in that new energy, to bring in a new face of the franchise, a new franchise quarterback. You're going to have to get one of those top two picks because even if one of the two teams ahead of you doesn't take them, they will trade that pick to someone that will. And so to guarantee a team is going to have um, a chance at either Caleb Williams or Drake May, they're going to have to pick one or two. And if you look, Justin, just historically at, at some other times when this has happened, there's no guarantee, as you alluded to, that either one of that both of those guys are going to be successful. In fact, usually one of them is and one of them isn't. You know, you can look in '93. Bledsoe was had a good career, borderline Hall of Fame career. Rick Meyer was a career backup. No, I don't think there was one GM in the NFL in 1993 that wouldn't have taken Rick Meyer with with the second pick if they had the chance, and he ended up being a career backup. Um, I'll give you another example: Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf in 1998, right? The Colts bottomed out. The Colts and Chargers were both duking it out for the number one pick that year. Colts get the number one pick. They draft Peyton Manning. He goes on to be a Hall of Fame player. They win a Super Bowl. Um, you know, legendary career. 
the Chargers went on to draft Ryan Leach, who was the most notorious draft bust and literally set their franchise back six years until they really recovered from that. So, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but generally speaking, the higher up you go, the more draft leverage and more draft capital you're going to have. And, and the reality is if you end up with the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh pick in this draft, I really don't feel like that's going to be the franchise shifting kind of um, draft asset that this team really needs. I, I agree. Like, I think like this team like could really benefit from a top two, three pick where there's the, the hype is there. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty clear cut. Cause you know, and I feel like too, and maybe, maybe this year's draft, uh, this year's draft could be different, but I feel like it's usually a general consensus, like who the first couple of guys are going to be, right? Maybe not the exact order, but generally, generally, you know, who those first three, four guys off the board are going to be. And I, and, and I think that's because, you know, at a certain point there, there are a couple while, well, you know, there's 32 first round talents in the draft there's really only i think two to three guys that can come out right away and just completely impact and alter um an organization's trajectory and don't get me wrong you don't always get that guy well every in- draft is different though it's exactly right like some years there's seven of those right. guys some years there's none i mean this year there happens to be at least a couple i mean there's a lot of franchise altering guys like there's two tackles that are supposedly like Orlando Pace type, you know, Tony Baselli type franchise tackles. There's Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. I mean, there's at least five players in this draft that are like A-level blue chip type franchise players coming out. And then, you know, obviously this goes without saying, but the best player in this draft might end up being a guy taken in the sixth round, right? You just, you just really don't know. But this year is a great year to have, have, have a top pick. But if you need a quarterback, it has to be one of those first two picks. If you, if you end up with a fourth pick in this draft, I'm sorry. It almost makes sense to trade down. Yeah. And if Bill is still there, I, would almost guarantee that's what they would do. It just, you so, know what so I mean? So let me ask you, if you think, you think if Belichick, if this team bottomed out and they got one of the top two picks in the draft this year, and Belichick was still here. Belichick and Kraft, check, should Belichick and Kraft work it out? Are you saying you don't believe Belichick would take one of those two quarterbacks with a top two pick? No, I think Belichick would like trade down to like the twenty something pick and like reach on a guy that we could have gotten in the the second or third round. It's a frightening thought if you really think about it. If, if, you know because you know you know he loved to draft like the t- I think the tackle from Penn State who's supposed yeah. to be like you know the Hall of Fame type tackle and, and let's face it like if you're looking at one position where the player usually meets the hype and meets expectations it's been tackle like right. you look at these guys these tackles when they take them in the top five or ten they usually work out so yeah you're right belichick would love to just like draft a tackle reject it find the most like mediocre quarterback out there and build and, and build this thing around him and keep going the way he's been going the last few years yeah exactly and like look i mean you know do we definitely need a, a franchise altering tackle? Like a hundred, a hundred percent, but it's just and like a franchise altering wide receiver too. That's that's Well, that's exactly it. It's like, we need a couple of different components, but like the line just seems like the least exciting. Like it might be the most, maybe like pressing need. And it might be one of like the biggest holes we have, but like, isn't it like, would you, are, are you going to be disappointed if like, you know, we have like the number two or three pick, and there's a kid like Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting there on the board, and you know you go out and and, and draft a tackle. Like, are you going to be disappointed well, in that? No, I'm not, and I'm I'm going to tell you why. Because 
I guess, you know, I would love for the excitement factor, for the fan factor. I would love for the Patriots to get a top two pick, if only because they will bring in like a potential franchise quarterback. But the reality is, like, I'm watching both of these guys play this year, and I'm not a thousand percent sold on either of them. I'm really not. So a part of me wonders if like the right thing to do would be to take the sure thing. And I think, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is 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 probably a lot closer to a sure thing. One of those two tackles is probably a lot closer right. to a sure thing than the huge gamble. Now you hit on Drake may and he becomes the next Josh Allen or the next Pat Mahomes. Or Caleb Williams becomes the next Pat Mahomes. Then, then, you know, your franchise is, is, is golden for 15 years. But if he's the next Zach Wilson or the next Trey Lance or the next, you know, go down the list, then you're absolutely screwed. Yep. Um, you know, it's better to draft say, um, you know, Randy Moss than it is to draft like Trent Dilfer, right? I mean, that you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, you know, it's it's if you got a Hall of Fame wide receiver, it's better to take them and, and and take your chances with a quarterback later on than to take a quarterback you don't believe in. And I don't know if I if I necessarily would say personally, and I'm no scout, but honestly, I'm not in love with any of these quarterbacks in the draft. I want to love Drake May. I want to love him, but then I watch the way he's played coming down the stretch here, and I think there are some concerns for him. We're going to talk a little later about Caleb Williams. That guy is just like there's all kinds of things yeah. swirling around him that I don't like. You know, I love Michael Penix, Penix Jr. I think he might be the, the, the player that I would – would love the Patriots to get, but he's got an injury history. Bo Nix looks like Mac Jones Jr. The kid from Texas looks like Mac Jones Jr. It's like, it's like, you know, I don't think any of these, I don't know. I don't know which way to go. Like I know, I know the hype machine says that, that, you know, May and, and Williams are, are like a formidable one too, but I don't really, I don't see it that way. I really don't. Well, it, I guess even to like take that a step further, it's like, I, I look at, you know, if you look at like some of the elite, quarterbacks in the league right now right like and maybe i'm wrong about this but i'm trying to think back we're like any of these guys touted is like the number one quarterback heading into the draft like patrick mahomes wasn't None you know them. josh allen josh them. allen wasn't no. like you know what i mean so it's like you, you, you can play that game for the last 30 years right so, 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 so it almost like scares me to like try to take like the the top prospect quarterback in a way. Right. I, I don't think there's anyone in this draft that's like a Peyton Manning, like a surefire guy that that is the number one thing. I, I just don't see it. You know, and and I think that and I think that the last guy to, to make your point that we that we were told was that guy was probably Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck had a good career, but not a great career. Right. And he, he didn't play very long. He never won a Super Bowl. I don't think he made a conference championship game. He put up some good numbers, but let's face it, there's been, you know, there's 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 five to twelve guys every year that throw for four thousand yards and thirty touchdowns. Um, you know, Luck was a very, very good quarterback, not a great one. If you went back to the two thousand twelve draft and you looked and, and felt that hype, the hype would have told you that Andrew Locke is the next you know, Michael Jordan, the next Peyton Manning, the next Tom Brady. And and clearly that didn't manifest. So you're right. I mean, you just, you just don't know. No, you, you really don't. So no, I, I think I agree with you. If the Patriots wound up at the top two or three pick, I would way rather see them take a Marvin Harrison Jr. or like a franchise tackle than I think, uh, 
you know, get risky with that, with that draft capital. The, the, the one, like the thing is like, I, I'll say right now, I really don't know what, what I really want to do. I really don't because, because I, I just think it's a tough, tough spot because I think, I think you want a quarterback, but all the quarterbacks have question marks in my opinion around them, even, even the top two. And, you know, if you draft a tackle or a receiver, you're, you might be drafting a, a guy that's a hall of fame player, but that really might not change your franchise all that much. You still might be a pretty bad or mediocre team until you find a quarterback. So they're really stuck in between like a rock and a hard place. They really painted themselves into a corner with the situation they're in. And to your initial point, which is like, whoever makes this pick better be someone that you damn well have confidence in as an organization, because Bill Belichick you know, if he, you know, who, or whoever, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, can, right. you cannot, you cannot blow this pick, whatever it is. If you take that gamble and you pass on Marvin Harrison Jr. Or you pass on a franchise altering left tackle and you draft the quarterback and then the quarterback sucks. And three years later, you're back again, a la Zach Wilson and Mark Sanchez and whatever, like the Jets do every three or four years, then, then you're absolutely screwed. Yeah, exactly. And I, the only thing I think that could make this, you know, these last couple of years worse, this, this situation that went worse is if it looks like it's becoming a vicious cycle that's just starting from scratch and showing just, no and real signs of being different. They're in right? the vicious cycle. Right. Whether, whether you realize where they were in the vicious cycle. I mean, you look at the odds of them getting a good quarterback. They get the first pick in the draft. Their odds are 50-50. Go back and look at the last 10 quarterbacks taken number one in the draft. Yeah. I mean, the hit rate's like less than 50%, right? Yep. Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield, uh, yeah. you know, um, Goff is, is, is good. You know, he's not great. I mean, you know, you can go back and, 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 and go down that list and it's it's trevor lawrence i mean really he i don't think he's anything special i think he's good i don't think he's doing anything great um you know it, it's it's a gamble so it's a huge gamble to, to take that guy at number one they are in that cycle right now all right let's talk a little bit justin about bill belichick because there was you know last episode of the podcast there was um there was a rumor about him going to the commanders and then, lo and behold, this week, the rumor is the, the L.A. Chargers, you know, there was reporting nationally that there's been a lot of contact between the Chargers and Belichick or along those lines. And what I'm going to tell you, Justin, right now is that I have nothing but the utmost respect and admiration for Bill Belichick. I think the man is a living legend. I think he was a brilliant football mind. I think he is a brilliant football mind. And I think in his time, he was one of the, if not the greatest coach that I've ever seen. All that said, if I'm looking at this objectively, objectively, I, as a, as a, if I was in charge of any of the other 31 franchises in the national football league, I would not touch Bill Belichick with a 10 foot pole to run my franchise based on his track record, the last four or five years, what he's doing, the way this team Patriots team looks on the field, the way Belichick is drafted, his age. Okay. His demeanor, his attitude. I would want absolutely nothing to do with him. Now I know somebody will want him. Somebody will take him and somebody will probably pay the Patriots draft capital to bring in Bill Belichick. But I'm telling you right now, I want, I, I think it's a huge mistake. I don't think anyone should be looking at this guy. I think, I think it's time for him to retire, even though he is a legend, because I don't see how anyone could look at what this guy's done the last five years and hand them the keys to their franchise. It would be really tough. I mean, I think you would have to be 
kind of a a, a desperate team like the Chargers. I mean, the, the if, yep. if you were going to be a, a, an organization, a team that does take that leap, like the Chargers, I think are perfect because it's like they supposedly have all these assets. They supposedly have, you know, a franchise quarterback. They have weapons. They have a defense. Their current coach is a moron. They're in a, um, what should be a favorable market to, to come play out, over in LA. Um, and, and that's just an, an, an organization that has been underperforming consistently, just failed expectations, failed expectations. So it's like, if there was going to be a team that takes a chance and saying, hey, all we really need is a Bill Belichick to come in and and change the mentality of uh, uh, in the culture of the organization. I mean, that's that would be the team to do it. Now, do I think- I mean, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll actually spin it even a better way for you. It, it, the, the Chargers are a desperate franchise. Right. They don't have a fan base. They are completely irrelevant in their own market. Um, they, they, their fans, their, their home stadium is usually filled with road fans. Yep. And they are the exact kind of franchise that will put down their better judgment, throw away their sensibilities, and take a chance on a guy like Belichick that they really shouldn't take a chance on. They're, they're the franchise that will will that that needs sizzle, right? As opposed to substance, and would make a decision like that, right? right. Any team looking at it rationally is going to look at what this guy did the last five years, look at his age, all due respect, and say, you know what? I don't think this is a great move for us. The Chargers are like, hey, let's bring in Will Belichick. It'll put us on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think if like if you're the Chargers, like I think it's a good PR move for you. Like we just both said, though, I don't know how good of a move it's going to be for your program. Um, but I think it's uh, – it, look, I, I'll tell you this. Bill Belichick may be a liability right now, but he's—I'd still take him over, you know, a Brandon Staley or a couple of these other coaches in the league. Yeah, but I—I I, I mean, I agree with that to to a point, but but you, you know, I mean, isn't he really on that level? I mean, if you just look at his track record the last five years, you know. I don't know. Like, I mean, you, you look at some of the worst, I hate to say this, but it's going to sound like a bad mouthing Belichick and I'm not. I just think he's at, he's at the end of the road, just like Tom Landry went one in 15 in his last year as the Cowboys coach. That's where we are with Belichick now. So I don't mean this as a criticism or necessarily an insult to him, but let, his performance the last five years has been right up there with some of the worst coaches in the league, both uh, both on and off the field. Undeniably, worst coaches. One, he's been one of the worst coaches and one of the worst GMs in football the last five years. I mean, that's that's just the reality. So yeah. why is someone going to want to bring that guy in uh, at this point? I just I think it'd be a huge mistake. Now, as I said, the, the Chargers would do it. I, I would love to see. I would love to see him go to the Chargers for one reason and one reason alone, and it would be excellent theater it would be entertaining yeah. as hell because of all the reasons you just said like putting him out there with justin herbert he goes out there and he goes like 13 and 4 in his first year like oh my god like what is that gonna say you know about the patriots franchise and everything like you know if he can still do it i i would love to see if bill belichick could still do it you know in, in a really i would say a pretty decent situation with good talent on the roster it would be great theater if he goes to somewhere like the Chargers and all of a sudden next year the Chargers are a 12-13 win team, they make it to the AFC Championship. Are, are, are we sitting here in New England now? Like is that, like like saying, "Oh, that was the only way the situation could have gotten even worse?" Like is that like is that the worst yes. thing that could happen? 
Yes, that that would make it just worse, you know. And it's it's hard to like point the finger at like I don't know what do you say if if that happens. I mean, who do you blame? Do you blame Kraft? I mean, who's responsible? I just think, I mean, look, I would just write it off as or explain it as as Belichick just went to a a ready made situation for him and was able to be successful. But honestly give him three to five years drafting the way he's drafted in new England and he'll run that franchise into the ground too, yeah. you know, because it's just what he's done here the last few years has not been sustainable. And I say that with the utmost respect and admiration. I just think it's the end of the road for him. I mean, does anybody want to, to be the, the Redskins for Vince Lombardi at this point? Cause that's, that's what it would be. You know, Lombardi, after he finished in Green Bay, went and coached a couple of years in Washington, never won anything really unremarkable and left the franchise much worse off. You know, that's the Belichick you're getting at this point. You're getting the tail end. You're getting the one in 15 Tom Landry. You're getting the six and 10 Chuck Knoll. You're getting Vince Lombardi at the bitter end. You know, you're getting Joe Gibbs in his second stint with the Washington where, where it was a disaster. That's, I think, the, what, what you'd be getting if you signed up for Belichick. I just don't think it's a good deal for a franchise. But I would love to see it. I will admit that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Justin, let's um, let's talk a little bit about this quarterback situation on Sunday. And I, I've kind of thought about it all week. As of the, the time of recording this podcast, it's Monday night, and we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. On Sunday in New York, Bill O'Brien had some interesting comments today, but he certainly didn't um, commit to a starter. And what I really find interesting, frankly, about the whole situation is a couple things. One is it sounds from Bill O'Brien's comments and from Bill Belichick's comments from the reporting that Mac Jones took most of the snaps this week. It sounds like it's very much in play that Mac Jones could start this game, which is just absolutely baffling to me because – why did you bench him if you're going to throw him back out there again? And what that says to me is that Bill Belichick last Sunday in Germany made an emotional, impulsive decision to pull Mac Jones out of the game based on his frustrations with the player instead of a instead of a rational decision about the direction of the franchise. And that to me, Justin is very concerning because it fits a pattern we've seen from Belichick the last few years. But, but, but I think, I think it just was a terrible decision to pull Mac out. If you're going to go right back to him the next week. Well, I mean, this might sound like a, like a dumb take, but I mean, like, do do you want, like, do you think the Patriots, obviously if you asked Bill, he's going to say the goal is, you know, to go out next week and win the football game. But do you think the Patriots actually want to win now? Like, like, do you think they're kind of in the same sort of mindset where they're almost playing the draft position game? And like, is it crazy to say that if that was the case, that maybe that's why they're sticking with Mac because they're looking at themselves as a, what a two and 10, two or whatever they are, two and nine, two and eight team right now um, with Mac as the starting quarterback. And they say, well, we're we're trying to continue in this route and get lock up a draft pick. Why change? I I don't, I don't think so because I think as individuals, all these coaches and players have way, way too much at stake. Now I think I don't like, so are they consciously trying to lose? No, I don't think they're consciously trying to lose, but are they resigned to lose? Have the, are they, are they really pushing it to win? Are they really fully invested in winning at this point? That I don't think they are. I think, you know, when you come to accept the fact that you're a bad losing team, then I just think that seeps very insidiously into a lot of things that players and coaches do. And I think that's where they are right now. But I don't think they're putting Mac out there because 
because they, they want to lose. I think they're putting Mac out there because they're a confused, disorganized mess with no clear plan or direction. Yeah. And I, I, I guess to your point, I just, I just don't see the benefit in putting Mac back out there as the starter, at least for this first game. Like I, it would make more sense to me if you brought Bailey Zappi out there and then depending on how Zappi did, maybe you go back to Mac the following game. But it just, it just seems a little weird to me that, you know, you would take Mac out for the final drive, which is clearly a bench, right? They benched him. And then they would bring him back as the starter in the following week. Because again, all, all you're doing is like, you gave that kid a chance to, like, like they could have given Mac Jones a chance to say, hey, we know you've had an awful game. We're not happy with you right now. But it, we know if we take you out, it's going to be a complete, you know, kick to the confidence. Or we yeah. could leave you in there. And you know what? If you fail, your ego's probably just as bruised. Or maybe you go out and you lead a game-winning drive and atone for the, 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 the game that you played. Like, I just don't understand the mentality right. of saying, hey, we're going to take you out for the last drive as a bench, but we're going to bring you back to start the next well, game. It's, it's inconsistent, Justin. Right. If Mac Jones is the best quarterback to win in New York this Sunday, if you really believe that and you're going to trot him back out there, then why wasn't he the best quarterback to go out and win the game uh, on that final drive? Exactly. And, against, and, you know, and, let, and, and, you know, and we know he threw a terrible pass and he made a bad mistake, but – but but if, if but but how is that consistent to say we're going to pull you out because you're not the best guy to go out and win this game for us? But then we're going right back to you because you are the best guy to win the game for us. It just it doesn't make any sense. It's like and, and furthermore, you know, and this is where Belichick is totally ignorant, in my opinion, is is the fact that how is this affecting the player's psyche? Because this is going to be the fourth or fifth time they bench this kid now in the last year and a half. I mean, I don't know in the history of the National Football League, someone should look this up. Has a guy ever started all 17 games and been benched like three or four times? Because Mac Jones has now been benched three times in 10 games. I can't believe there's a quarterback that has been benched three times and has gone on to start 11, you know, all 11 or 10 games the team has played in. Like at some point, if you keep benching this guy, every time things start to go wrong, you just have to put him there and keep him there and give the next guy a try. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think, all you're like, all you're really doing at this point is just making a bad situation worse. You're taking a player who has minimal confidence in momentum to begin with, and you're basically driving it to the absolute minimal floor that you, it can be. You at. are this. This is why. This is why the player's falling apart. It's because of this. It's because of what this is the perfect microcosm of why Mac Jones is falling apart. Like, I don't know if Mac Jones, I don't think he's a great player. Maybe he's an average player. Maybe he's a below average player. He's playing like he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I don't think he's that bad. They've gotten the worst from this kid and he's regressed. And this is exactly why, because you're psychologically messing with this kid. You have no confidence in him. And every time he makes a mistake or plays poorly or things don't go well, you yank him out of the freaking game. They've done it four times in the last what, 10 games this year and then what was it maybe 10 games they've yanked this guy out like four of the last 18 or 19 times that he's taken the field for them and then they wonder why yeah i look one of the things that like i and maybe we'll get to this so you know if you, if you plan to talk on this you know i'll shelf it but you know there, there, there was a report a report that came out you know over the last few days 
uh, basically stating that it's it's rumored that Patriots insiders, Patriots personnel are, are kind of leaking that maybe up to 80% of the locker room is, has turned against Mac. Mac's lost about, like they say, up to 80% of support. Yep. Um as, as the starting quarterback for, for the New England Patriots, right? And now, and, and, and I mentioned this to you the other day, I said, even if that's not, even if that number is grossly inflated and it's more like 40 or 50%, even half it's of that, still that's still an awful situation, right? And right. what I'm curious about is if you're Bill and you're looking to maybe salvage what's left of the year, try to build on a high note or at least leave this team in a good place heading into next year, like to me, it's no longer about like, necessarily Mac and like his individual situation anymore to me. Like if I knew my locker room was no longer with a quarterback that I just benched, by the way, it's not like it's, it's not like I, I'm super committed to this guy and he's been playing great. It's like the guy that I just benched. Cause I'm frustrated with him. Supposedly the locker room isn't behind him either. I, why, like, does that not kind of inherently demand that some sort of switch is made, even if it's just for a game or two to give someone like Zappy or, or someone else a, a chance to, to, to get out there and, and, and see if they can, you know, just maybe kickstart the energy a little bit. Yes, uh, absolutely. Or just like, you know, you know, you, you're not even, you can't get the best out of these players, whatever they are, if they don't believe in the quarterback that they're going out there with and why should they believe, right? He hasn't played well. Um, you've undermined him at every turn. It's just been a total disaster. If for no other reason to change the energy, then you should, then, then, then yes, it's time to try someone else. Now, I, I, now I'll tell you right now, and, and this is my other take about the quarterback situation on Sunday. You're asking me who's, who I want to play quarterback, Mac Jones, Will Greer, Malik Cunningham, Billy Zappi. And my honest, legitimate answer, Justin, is I don't care. I don't care who plays quarterback at this point. I really don't because I don't see any way in the next seven games that Mac Jones can erase the uncertainty that I'm going to have around him as a player going into next year. And next year is all that counts at this point because you're two and eight and you're not going to make the playoffs and you're not salvaging your season. Right. And there's nothing that can happen in those last seven games that can make me say, I feel good about Mac Jones. Like let's, let's draft Marvin Harrison Jr. with the third pick because I think Mac can be the guy. There's no way I can feel that way based on what's happened over the last two years. Right. So, so I, I really, because of that, I don't feel like I need to see Mac anymore. Um, I don't think Zappy is the guy. I don't think Greer is the guy. I don't think Cunningham is the guy. So, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, Trot whoever you want out there. Trot whoever you want out there. And and I'll be like half rooting for them to win and I'll be half rooting for them to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of in the same boat now. It's like you never want to root for your team to lose, but I'm definitely not going to be disappointed because I think that it, at this point, the only bright lining can be the draft spot for next year in my mind. It's it's pretty pathetic situation, but absolutely. But but I think I think, you know, I think I think it's a tough spot. I think I think the overall overarching theme is they have absolutely no plan at quarterback. They have absolutely no plan at quarterback. They haven't picked a starter yet. It's Tuesday. Um, they don't believe in Mac Jones. They they don't they don't believe in the backups. They they don't have a quarterback on the roster that they believe in. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, Justin, to the, to the um, rest of the league, I just want to bring up one more quick little take 
um, about this this Patriots team. When we look at the at the back end of, of Bill Belichick's time in New England, and we look at the sort of the nail in the coffin about the Patriots uh, of the, of this kind of Patriots dynasty and Belichick's time in New England, can I just throw out to you that I think we can look at the 2022 draft class as being the nail in the coffin for, for Bill Belichick's tenure in New England and the Patriots dynasty. When you look at this draft class, go back and look. And I say that because, you know, Jack Jones was cut this, this week and, and he was probably in terms of like on field ability, probably the most promising player from the draft class, but go through that draft class right now. And what a disaster. I mean, the first round pick was Cole Strange. I don't think he can play. I think he's shaky, maybe an average player at best. Tyquan Thornton around two is a total bust, terrible draft pick. Marcus Jones is a gimmick player, can't stay on the field, missed the year. Jack Jones is cut. Pierre Strong was traded. Bailey Zappi, they've literally done everything possible to keep him off the field. Kevin Harris is gone. Sam Roberts doesn't play. And, and beyond that, a couple other guys that haven't seen the field. What a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it just it, it it's funny because like I I at the time I think we looked at that draft class as like, hey, like I don't think we looked at it as a strong draft, but I think coming away from the draft, we looked at it and we said, okay, you know, there was a couple of things we didn't understand, but I think we were willing to give it a shot, right? Like I didn't necessarily come away from that draft feeling like we blew it, but I definitely had some questions and I think those questions answered themselves. Yeah. I mean, we, we, when we recorded actually our draft review, I mean, we pretty much universally panned th that draft that year because I think it was just right from the get go. It was just total mismanagement of draft assets. And look, at the end of the day, a good draft, you need to pull like, say, two to three, four, maybe players that can play every year. And it really doesn't matter whether they come from the seventh round, the sixth round, or even right. if they're undrafted free agents, you just got to bring in like three, four ish, good young players every year to, to, to keep young talent coming into your program. And when you draft like this, and I can honestly say, looking at this list of players right now, that the Patriots didn't draft one reliable, stable starting caliber player in the draft in 2022. And then you put that in the context of, you know, 21, I think was a mediocre draft. We thought it would be better because we thought Mac Jones was better, but, but that's a, that's a, you know, you blew your first round pick that year. It looks like Barmore's okay. I don't think he's great. You know, Ramondre Stevenson is a good back, but guys like him, I think are a dime a dozen, you know, 20 again, mediocre draft, 19, 18, 17. We know those are disasters. This team has really pulled you look at like a five or six year snapshot, right, of their drafting. How many reliable starting caliber players have they pulled? Not that many. I think they literally haven't had one Pro Bowl player you know, drafted in years. Um, I don't think they've signed a draft pick to a second contract since Dante Hightower, which is going back like seven, eight years now, which is stunning. I mean, it's it the, the it's it's been a long trend, but the twenty twenty two class was like the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, very sad. Yeah. That's, and that's where they are, man, right now. Okay. Let's go, let's go around the league, Justin. I really have nothing else to say about this Patriots team. We'll see what happens Sunday in, in New York, but I think, you know, there's a couple other little things, but I think, I think I'd rather talk about other things around the NFL. I want to start Justin in, in Detroit where Dan Campbell 
must literally be a, like a god now in Detroit, yeah. right? The Lions did yesterday what good teams do, very good teams do. They played a bad game and against the division team that was playing their best game and still found a way to win anyways. I said last week that great teams win multiple ways. Well, once again, the Detroit Lions, you look at that game yesterday, they found a way to win. Okay, the Swiss Army knife, they pulled the next weapon out and they got it done. There's probably like three or four teams in the NFL right now that I would put in that category. And the Lions are one of them. It's not only time to start talking, take Take talking about the Lions as uh, Super Bowl contenders. It's also time that we start thinking about them as America's team, as at least for this year, because I think everybody is rooting for them. Oh, one hundred percent! Like I'm totally rooting for them. I mean, you, you know, you talk about Dan Campbell, and like that's a guy that I I don't know of any player in the league that I wouldn't want to play for that guy. You know, like he just seems like the ultimate players' coach, ultimate high energy. Um, you know, lead by example type of guy and the players clearly respond. And you know what? Let's, let's not like, yes, Dan Campbell has, has done a very good job as the head coach. Like, yes, Jared Goff has came in and like silently flown under the radar as like one of like the more consistent quarterbacks in the NFL. But like to like our, our earlier points, like the lions have drafted extremely well in the last couple of years, arguably the best drafting team, uh, maybe in the last three or four years. I mean, it just seems like they are hitting on pick after pick after pick. I mean, you even look at this year, you know, how, how often do you see rookie tight ends come into the league and, and make immediate impacts? And they have one of the best tight ends in the league this year and, and, and Sam Laporta, you know, guys like, uh, like Jameer Gibbs making immediate impacts guys on, on the defensive side of the ball, making immediate impacts. You look at the guys like Aiden Hutchinson in year two, um, I, that linebacker that they drafted out of Iowa, his name's eluding me, but right. it's just like P- Penny Sewall yep. from a few years ago. Remember they took Penny yep. Sewall over Jamar Chase, yep. uh, yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown turned into one of the best receivers in the league. Like this is a team that has gone out and just, they just seem to have done everything Right. They've gotten a group of hungry guys together, guys who are hungry, not only hungry to coach, but hungry to play and hungry to win and hungry to prove himself. Um, and they've just drafted very well, brought a good team together. And, and, and they you know, found and they found the key piece, a quarterback right. that everybody counted out. For some reason, nobody respects Jared Goff. <clears throat> and, and they took what him as a distressed asset. They brought him in to a situation where he is surrounded by talent. And lo and behold, he is playing as good as any quarterback in the NFC is right now. And he is absolutely the most battle-tested quarterback in the NFC right now. And it's just amazing that, you know, you talk about the drafting they've done and they, you know, the piece they were missing, the most important piece is the quarterback. And for them you know, to go out and just bring in a former number one pick and re- watch this reclamation project happen before our very eyes. It really is an amazing story. It's, it's a very amazing story. And it, you know, it's, it, it really is. I, you know, it, it it's almost weird because like you wouldn't say that most great rebuilds start by bringing in like a quote unquote like failed quarterback, you know what I mean? But like to for all you know, for all 
intents and purposes. Like when Jared Goff left the Rams, he was viewed as kind of a failed quarterback, a quarterback with like a limited upside. Clearly the Rams wanted to move on from him. Um, and like, you know, when Detroit brought him in, Detroit was still at the bottom of the league. And I don't think it was anybody who thought, oh, Jared Goff going to the Detroit Lions is is going to be a future problem for the league in a in a year right. or two. Like, you know but, what I mean? You're, you're absolutely. You know, like people thought of Goff that way, but I mean, he had some he had some mediocre years in LA, but he also had some damn good years. Like, I mean, he was yeah. he was in LA really for five years. His rookie year, I don't think you can hold against him. He threw twenty eight touchdowns and seven picks in seventeen. 32 touchdowns and 12 picks in 18 and 19 and 20. He wasn't as good. He threw, he threw um, 22 picks, touchdowns, 16 picks in 19 and 20 touchdowns and 13 picks in, 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 in 20. But to your point, like we all thought, or I think a lot of people looked at Goff and thought he was just like absolute crap. And the reality was he was never really that bad of a quarterback. Sean McVay hated him for some reason and threw him away at the first chance he got benched him. Remember he benched him. And and I think a playoff game, he might've benched him whatever reason McVay couldn't stand him. But the reality was he was a reasonably productive guy. He had three, 4,000 yard seasons, you know, in, in LA. So it's, it's like he was not a total bum. No, he wasn't a total bomb, but it, but again, like to the it it go it speaks to the point that like you know it's very easy to like look at like you know what what a Tom Brady did or what like a Patrick Mahomes is doing now and say that like you know you need a a a top tier best in the league type of quarterback to be able to to compete at a high level, but like you really don't like Jared Goff is really proving that. You can be a good to above average quarterback, and if you have the right coaching, the right talent around you, you can be successful in this league. You well, don't. Here's my question. Here's my question. To you on that? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. But here's my question: What team in the NFC has that guy? Because I look at every one of those other teams that they're competing with, and they're all the same. Like, where is the true franchise quarterback in the NFC right now? I mean, look. The closest. Here's the thing. The closest thing you could say. Other than Jared Goff, you have to a franchise quarterback in the NFC is probably, I mean, Jalen Hurts. And there's still a, a bunch of question marks there. And the right. only guy, the only guy who has, you could argue, more experience in more of a resume than Jared Goff is Matt Stafford. In the Rams of four and six. I mean, I right. barring something crazy, they're not right. gonna be in the playoffs. You know? And and and, and and the you know, the 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 best teams in the conference, Jalen Hurts, I think, I think he 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 might be the best quarterback in the nfc but i mean his resume i mean jared goff's resume looks good stacks up favorably to hurts you know dak prescott everyone wants him to be that franchise guy who's had a better career jared goff or dak prescott i can answer that question yeah you know it's it's absolutely jared goff yeah jared goff has had a better career than dak prescott he's done more he's produced more with less he's he's had more success in terms of statistics and in terms of wins and yet and yet you know everyone wants to believe in dak prescott as a franchise quarterback and we look at jared goff as as like um a stowaway on on the lions you know it's it's just a very interesting dynamic it's it's a very very interesting dynamic, and you know what? I, I think what you said earlier is accurate. I think they are becoming America's team. I think they are, you know, America's team. Um, I certainly root for them. You know, it. I I, I definitely like watching them play. Um, 
And again, you know, like they're just a very likable group of guys and all of this, you know, from all of their stories, you know, you got, you have someone like, like someone like Amonra St. Brown, who I'd consider one of the best receivers in the NFL. Like, I love the fact that like he remembers uh, and has written down like every single wide receiver who came off the board before him. And he carries like that chip in his shoulder, right? Guys like Dan Campbell, like guys like Jared Goff. It's like, it's guys that you can get behind and you can root for, and you can really say, wow, like I, I would like to see these guys be successful, even if Detroit isn't my team. The last time the Detroit Lions were eight and two or nine and two, whatever they are now, was was in the Kennedy administration. I saw that, yeah, it was like 62 John F. Kennedy or something. Yeah. was president yeah. the last time the Lions were this good this late. I mean, that's if, if you can't get behind that and root for that, I mean, I don't know what you can get behind. I mean, that that's that's a team you can root for. All right, let's go, let's go to Denver, Justin. We gotta talk <laughs> yeah. about the uh, Broncos. Listen, I'm gonna say it right now. A lot of us, I think all of us, rush to judgment on Russell Wilson. Um, but can you can you really blame us, right? Like, you know, I still think he's a, in the decline. I don't think he's the same quarterback he was a few years ago. But, 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 you know, like the bottom line is we overestimated how steep and how bad the decline is because we just, I mean, it's just pretty obvious that the whole Nathaniel Hackett thing wasn't really a true just disaster last year. The reality is Russell Wilson, he might not be the Russell Wilson of 2014, um, but he's still a really damn good quarterback. Uh, he, I think he's throwing something like 18 touchdowns and four interceptions. The Broncos offense looks good. The Broncos defense is getting better. Every year, there is that one team that emerges from the pack around this time. And they're the one team that nobody wants to play in the postseason. And I think right now, the, this week, the Broncos look like they might be that team. I think they're the definition of a dangerous team. What a hundred percent the definition of a dangerous team. I mean, they have, they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback. They have a Super Bowl winning coach. They have a decent defense. They have uh, good skill players on They offense. didn't have a decent like, defense a few weeks ago, but they no. it looks like they might now. But but you know what though? Like in in this is something that, you know, I, I truly believe like the the lack of performance from the Denver defense, like I don't think was because they're not actually good defense. Like I think it was it was literally like a carryover, like a hangover from last year where the defense I mean, last year I watched that defense perform lights out, keep that team in so many games only to be disappointed week in, week out, week in, week out. And I think that right. that hangover carried a little bit into the beginning of the season. And now that you see Russell Wilson in this offense kind of finally rounding it to form and you know, performing, I think this defense has perked back up a little bit and is kind of performing up to par. They got some good guys on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they, 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 they certainly have played better the last few weeks and we we always have to remember look it's a long season right and the team that's the best team in september is not always the team that's the best team in january and this is why it's so critical that you just have to win enough games in september and october so that you don't fall out of it and that's by the way the patriots where their failing was this year. They got off to, once again, such a slow start. This season, season is totally unsalvageable, but like it's very possible. We see it every year that a team kind of hovers around 500 and then gets hot at the right time. And Denver, I mean, they have the longest winning streak in the NFL right now. I think they've won five or six, five in a row, yeah. right? They, they are that team right now. And 
I don't think if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs, but give it a couple weeks because don't tell me Cleveland's going to keep winning. You know, Pittsburgh is shaky. The Bengals are going to fall out of it. I don't believe in the Colts. Buffalo's got a ton of issues and the Bills and the Broncos just beat them by the way. The Broncos, you know, are really that, that horse that's like hovering on the outside midway through the Kentucky Derby. And they're kind of like making their move here. Um, you know, as we get to Thanksgiving, look, you know, we all trashed and shit on Russell Wilson and Sean Payton all September, all October. Hey, I think it's a great story to see them making a move and kind of figuring it out and and potentially making us all eat our words. A hundred percent. And like, it's like, it's not, you know, we, you look at, we talk about the last five weeks and what the Broncos are doing. I think it's worth also noting like, their opponents and who they beat, right? It's not like they were rolling right. over like, you know, the That's like, a great point. You know what I mean? Like they weren't just beating like bottom tier average teams. I mean, like they're going out and they're they're beating the Chiefs. They're they're beating the the Bills. They're they're beating a Minnesota team that had won four straight games. Like they're they're going out and they're they're finding ways to win games against tough teams. So I think that that is almost to me that's almost who they're beating is yeah. almost more important than the fact that they've won five straight. Right. They beat Kansas City. They beat Buffalo. They beat the hottest team in the NFL going into this weekend was the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, they've had, they've had some legitimate wins, you know, the last few weeks. Um, Justin, let's move to Joe Burrow's injury. And I think, you know, first of all, it sucks because I hate to see one of the best players in the league not finish the season. That's yeah. that's absolutely uh, not what you want the best players to be on the field and especially a quarterback position. But I think here's the real relevance besides the fact that it really ruins Cincinnati's season because they don't have a backup quarterback. The field of teams that can actually beat the Kansas city chiefs yeah. in January and the AFC is fast, fast dwindling. Like who can go into Arrowhead stadium and win in January in this playoff field? I am not sure that there's anyone that I would say has, has a, has a 50, 50 chance even right. The yeah. Bengals might've been that team. They're obviously out of it. Buffalo, we know they can beat Kansas City. They have major issues, right? The Dolphins haven't won uh, against a team with a winning record in two years. Okay, it's like a, an NFL record streak or some, something something along those lines. The Baltimore Ravens are probably the one team that I would honestly say have a chance, a realistic chance to beat Kansas City in the playoffs. But I would not put it. Uh, it's, it's like a two thirds, one thirds, you know, thing. Like I mean, they'd be underdogs in that situation. Maybe a small caveat, Denver Broncos, who just beat Kansas City two weeks ago, can do it. But the reality is, you look at this AFC playoff field, Kansas City, um, who's going to beat them? Cleveland without Deshaun Watson? No way. Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett, who the Jaguars, the Colts, there really is not a lot of competition right now for Kansas City in the AFC. There's a lot of mediocrity. Uh, I completely agree. I mean, I'm I'm looking at them right now. They're on you know Monday Night Football, and they're they're handing the Eagles the business right now, seventeen to seven. Right. I mean, you know, like this is this is I think you know not only the defending Super Bowl champs, but this this is a Kansas City team that we've said has the best defense that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have ever had in Kansas City. So like this is a thoroughly right. scary team. Um, you know, they pretty much have everything they need uh, to go out and, and, and repeat. And to your point, it's like, 
who do you look at in the AFC that that could take them down? I mean, I really just don't see anybody. I think like the the path is as clear as day for the Chiefs to go back to the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, you, you talk about some of the other teams that you know could potentially come in and in into Arrowhead and, and beat a Kansas City. Like I, you know, I just I don't see it. I, I really don't. And also, you know, to the to the point of Joe Burrow, it's like you know, you look around the league. You know, you look at some of the some of the quarterbacks who are, you know, it, you know, Brady retires at the end of last year. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt this year. De- Deshaun Watson gets hurt. Joe Burrow gets hurt. So it's like, you know, all of a sudden this year, it's like you remove a lot of those uh, yeah. quarterbacks from the equation that you know we're, we're we're competing or or you know we're able to kind of make the make the road difficult. And it just seems like Patrick Mahomes is just standing on a pedestal in a spotlight with just a wide open lane to a super. I mean, ball. let's face it, Justin. It's super reminiscent of the Patriots. It just is the way it is. Well, but but it's not totally an accident. It's like when you get that coach quarterback combination, you have the best player in the league at quarterback, and you have a great legendary head coach. That gives you the leg up on pretty much everyone. Like, there's only so many teams that can even compete with you when you have that kind of coach and quarterback. And that's really the whole dynamic. It's why the Chiefs are going to be in it pretty much every single year, as long as Mahomes is healthy and Reed is the coach, as no matter who else is on the team, you know, it's plug and play for the rest of the roster because there are only so many teams that even have the, the the talent and the wherewithal and the ability to go blow for blow with with a coach quarterback combination like that and that's the whole thing and right now the way the afc is opening up for the chiefs is just so eerily reminiscent of the way it opened up for the patriots every single year for so long yeah yes it, it really is like the you know you almost i, I it's funny i i i have that like that vivid you know image in my in my mind after them beating the Eagles, you know, Teddy uh, Bruschi with the, you know, the dynasty newspaper and, and whatnot, you know, after they won three out of four, yep. well, yeah, three out of four. And, three out of four. And, and I look at it and I'm like, I, I can just picture that same exact scene with the red and white confetti falling and, yeah. and Travis Kelsey and, and Mahomes there in, in, in February. Like it just, it just seems like it's, it's almost like, you know, destined to happen at this point. It, it is. And, and I'll, and, and, and wait for it because if that does happen and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl one more time this year, you're going to have legitimate discussion about if Andy Reid deserves to be higher than Bill Belichick in the NFL coaching, like Mount Rushmore, or however you want to describe it. Like, like at what point do we start having the conversation that Reed is a better coach than Bill Belichick? I, I think you don't hear a lot of it now, you know, maybe a, a trickle every now and then he wins another Super Bowl this year, even though he's not going to have six Super Bowls like Bill Belichick had, people are going to look at Andy Reid and they're going to see the pattern of success he's had with multiple quarterbacks. And they're going to say, well, Andy Reid, only won three Super Bowls or only won four Super Bowls, whatever it ends up being. But he won with how many different quarterbacks and Bill Belichick couldn't win without Tom Brady. And that's going to be a conversation that we have, you know, if, if, if the chiefs continue to win Super Bowls and certainly if they win this year. Yeah. I mean, well, well, look in fairness, right. I mean, I don't think Andy Reid's won a Super Bowl without Mahomes, right? But I mean, he made it to the Super Bowl. But he was—he made it. He was he competitive. Even with Alex Smith, they were. Right. I mean, who who got the best? Alex Smith was a was a journeyman player, 
and, right. and and you got the best out of him. You know, Donovan McNabb, say what you will about him. I don't think he was, you know, a Hall of Fame player. He was a good quarterback. Reed took them to four straight conference championship games. I mean, I think he got the best out of Donovan McNabb. You know, you yeah. It, when has Belichick even sniffed that level of success without Tom Brady? Yeah, he no, hasn't. Sure. He just hasn't. And people are going to hold it against him in the head to head comparison with Andrew Reid. Yeah. All right. I like the Steelers as a team, Justin. I do. I like, we talked about this last week, but th- there's no excuses for Kenny Pickett. They have everything around that guy. Great coach, check. Great defense check. Got him the ball four or five times yesterday with a chance to win, right? Good wide receivers. Two good backs, including an explosive speed back. This guy, Warren, really good. You know how some of us continue to make excuses for Mac Jones. I think a lot of us are done with that now. But we do a lot of excuse making for Mac Jones, and probably rightfully so, to be honest. You can't do that for Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett has everything around him. He should need to be successful. And yet, that offense is terrible, and he's terrible. Um, big loss yesterday against Cleveland. I mean, I want to believe in this Pittsburgh team. I, I like the way they play. They're 12-5 and five in their last 17 games. We talked about it last week. But but Kenny Pickett is a problem for that team. He is. I mean, I you know, I'm – I'm not sold on Kenny Pickett. I I think he is the problem with that team. Let me put it: Kenny Pickett is the problem with that team. Yeah, I look. I I, I get it. You know, it's it's only his second year. I mean, this this and that. But like, he hasn't been awful, but he definitely is not filling me with like the confidence that I would need to have that this guy is your franchise quarterback moving forward. And like, I know you know the the, the Steelers. You know they. I know that the Steelers are kind of an organization that likes consistency, right? You think about how many like coaches they've had in their tenure, right? They 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 like to keep guys around. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of turnover, um, but but like I I don't know. Like I think like the one thing though that is like making this situation very difficult because I think like the eye test tells me that Kenny Pickett is a mediocre quarterback at best, probably destined to be a backup, but like. Then you look at the fact that, you know, they're six and four and they're like winning some tough games and they're beating some tough teams. And it's like, it's difficult because it's like you clearly, in my opinion, don't have a super talented quarterback, but how do you, you know, bench a second year or move on from a second year guy that's that's got a six and four record? You know, he's super, he was a field goal away from being seven and three this weekend, yeah, you know? Th- th- that's a fair point, but but – the thing is, you know, you say he's an average quarterback. The statistics would say the opposite. I mean, the statistics would say he's a bad quarterback. I want to. He he has a career rating of seventy-seven. He has thrown thirteen touchdowns and thirteen interceptions, and in in his career, he has he's thrown for like four thousand yards and I think something like you know twenty-something uh, games at this point. Like Kenny Pickett is a bad quarterback he's not even an average quarterback he might develop down the road into a better quarterback but right now he's a bad quarterback and he has a lot around him i think that's what i think is super concerning about his situation is the fact that this is not a guy that's thrown into a situation like you know whatever a a totally bad team with nothing around him like Kenny Pickett is immersed in talent and yet he still struggles to get it done I think I think I couldn't even call him an average quarterback right now 
Yeah, it, it, I get. I look. I totally get where you come from. I guess the reason why I'm calling him an average quarterback is because his team is six and four. But like to your point, like when I look at him play, I don't think he's necessarily a good quarterback. Like I, I wouldn't want him in New England for sure. I, I, I realistically, I would even probably still take a Mac Jones potentially over a Kenny Pickett. Like because I think I think yeah. a, I think a Mac Jones who has his confidence back is a better quarterback than a Kenny. Well, Pickett. Mac, Mac has had more success than Kenny Pickett has. Right. I mean, in all fairness, like I mean, really, you know, if you look at their career stats, career resume, Mac has been a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett, and that's not a compliment to Mac. It's really an indictment on Pickett. Um, Justin, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, but, um, you know, the, the, the bears are in a huge, huge pinch with Justin Fields. Mm. I saw a statistic going around on social media today. The bears have with Justin Fields, a less than 20% winning percentages in games that he starts. And in games when his backup starts, their winning percentage is 460. I cannot think of a bigger indictment on a quarterback than 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 a, than the fact that a team wins twenty six percent less often when you're in there. This is supposed to be your franchise quarterback. This is supposed to be the guy you're building around. And when he goes in there, you win less than twenty percent of your games. And when he's not in there, you're an almost five hundred team. That is a damning indictment for the Bears. They have they were likely going to have two of the top five picks in the draft this year. How can they bring Justin Fields back when every time he comes back in the game, they lose? That's, that's a great question. I mean, it, because wouldn't it be amazing, right? If 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 you could just fit, take this over, you keep Justin Fields and you draft Marvin Harrison in one of those stud tackles. Like that's what you want to do if you're the Bears. You don't want to go right. back and draft another quarterback. No, you don't. And I mean, like all all the signs that like all the moves and the signs that the Bears have been like making, like lead you to believe that they like Justin Fields. I mean, they they went out especially this year. I mean, you you know last year they went out. And traded for DJ Moore before the deadline to and, and Chase Claypool. I mean, obviously Claypool didn't work out, but the whole point yeah. was they were going to get him uh, weapons to stack his to stack his 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 receiving core. Right? They went out and they addressed the um, offensive line in the draft and in free agency. Um, they went out to the trade deadline this year and brought in um, you know a, a cornerstone defensive end. Like it all. It all seems like they think that if they put the right pieces in play in Chicago around Justin Fields, that he can be a good quarterback. And like the the weird thing is like to your point, he has such a poor winning percentage, but like I, I, he's ha- also had some of the most dominating individual performances that I've seen over the last couple of years. Like that's what makes it really tough is because I've seen that guy go out and single-handedly throttle a team in and put the put the bears on his back to win a game, but he just does it so inconsistently. So I don't hate the Bears saying, well, maybe if we beef up the 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 personnel in in the the team around him that we'll get some more consistent play. But I I, I just don't know if he's going to go from like what you're saying a, a 200 winning percentage to all of a sudden something that that makes it worth keeping him in Chicago. 
I mean, I, I if I'm the Bears GM, like I want nothing more than to keep Justin Fields as my quarterback and draft two, you know, Hall of Fame blue chip players in the top five right. uh, of the draft next year. I mean, that's you. You, you do not want to go back and, and take another another rookie quarterback. But when you look, you just look at that. It's like, man, are they really going to keep rolling with this guy? And, and yeah, he sometimes shows flashes. He sometimes make great plays, but they lose. They lose when he's their quarterback. Like, that's a damning indictment. And this might be, you know, the Bears might have a unique opportunity this year to get another franchise guy that they may not get for a long time. Justin, when I watch Bryce Young, I try to remember that Troy Aikman had an awful rookie season. I try to remember that Peyton Manning had an awful rookie season, right? And you hear it all the time. You can't judge him on his first year. There's absolutely no question. It's way, way too early to judge Bryce Young. So when I say that 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 I don't believe in Bryce Young, it's not because he's necessarily having a bad rookie year, because we've seen many times quarterbacks need a year or two or three to develop. I am judging Bryce Young because when I watch this guy play, I continue to just not see what makes him special. Okay. And I think you saw it again yesterday. Horrible pick six against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think he's particularly fast. I don't think he's particularly athletic. I don't think he's, he has a strong arm. I watched Malik Cunningham play this preseason, undersized guy with a mediocre arm and great mobility. And I'm like, how far away is his skill set from Bryce Young's? I know, is that a crazy take? I know I've said it before, but I, I continue to be underwhelmed by what I see from Bryce Young. So when I say that I don't believe in Bryce Young, know that it's not because he's having a bad rookie year, because that's happened before, and the guy's gone on to be a great player. It's because I don't believe in what I'm seeing on the field. I don't believe in it at all. Like, I think... This is this is a kid like we go back to our you know our preseason shows like we both said that even though the, he seemed to be the 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 number one consensus overall pick um we both said that he out of the the big 3 they were talking about he was 3 of 3 you know I think that we we were both firmly in that camp that you know it was CJ Stroud and um what's his name in Anthony, uh, Richardson. Anthony Richardson over in Indy and then Bryce Young was third and right. I I I think uh, it's no surprise, like what we're seeing. Like, look, I look at Bryce Young, and like, th- there is almost nothing about him that I look at and say, like, oh, this kid really has like a unique X factor that not many other quarterbacks possess. Like, when it comes to his athleticism, he's you know he's athletic, but he's not a Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts, right? When it comes to his his arm and his playmaking ability, he's he's nothing like a like a like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. When it comes to just his physical size, I mean, he's not a physically imposing or threatening guy uh, at all. He's undersized. He's super he's, undersized, he's, even in today's NFL. And like you could compare him to someone like Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray is like Barry Sanders. But he's a quarterback. Kyler Murray you know, would run circles. Athletic. He'd run circles around Bryce right, Young. Exactly. So, so th- exactly. that's kind of my point. I'm glad you mentioned Kyler Murray because that's who I was going to bring up as a comparison. I'm like, if you're going to be that size as a quarterback, you need to have like Kyler Murray type athleticism and speed. Because if not, now you're just, you're undersized. And if you're going to be that undersized without that type of athleticism, then you better have one of the, the the biggest arms and one of the best, you know, playmaking abilities in the league. And he doesn't have either of those either. So it's just like, I look at a, I look at a guy that 
seems to be uh, under-equipped in both his size and athleticism and, uh, you know, in, in, in his skill set. And I, I just don't know how you take that and in, in turn it into a uh, successful franchise quarterback. I mean, look, you know, people people probably said the same thing about uh, Doug Flutie, you know, but or they did say the same thing about Doug Flutie. And then, you know, look what happened. But like, how, how often does a Doug Flutie come along? You know, it, it just, I just don't see uh, a viable path for Bryce Young moving forward. And I know he's only a rookie, but I don't know. It's just my gut. Yep. I'm not, we're not judging him because he's a rookie. We're judging him because it just, it doesn't look like he has it. I mean, that's, that's, I think, I think very plain and simple what, what you see when you watch the player play. Um, let's talk, Justin, about the likely number one pick in this year's draft. We mentioned him at the start of the podcast, but I want to talk specifically about Caleb Williams. And right now, Caleb Williams to me has more red flags oh. flying than Tiananmen Square. Okay. <laughs> he wants an ownership piece of your team. He only wants to play for five teams. He cried on national television when he lost a few weeks ago. He refused to do a press conference after one loss. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in Division I college football when he's pressured. And he's had a very disappointing senior season. I understand when I watch Caleb Williams play, Caleb Williams play, I understand why he's a first-round talent. I truly get it. But what I don't understand is why people see him as a generational talent. I think this guy has red flags up and down the board. I think he has uncertainty up and down the board. And I think a huge part of success in anything in life is emotional maturity. I don't see him as having any. Look at Zach Wilson, right? Factor in the attitude. Look how he fell apart. Caleb Williams has a little bit of that Zach Wilson thing going on right now. I don't know if I got the number one pick, if I would even want to be touching this kid. I, I wouldn't want Caleb Williams with the, the first pick in the sixth round, let alone the first pick in, in the first round. And and, and I, and I say that I look at Caleb Williams and I say to myself, the, the biggest red flags to me, with him have nothing to do with his, his on the field performance. Like he, 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 you know, I I know what you're saying about like the, you know, under pressure and whatnot. Um, it's he has talent. He has talent. This is, I can, but I can, I get it, but I don't think he's like, a. I think there's people talk about like he's the next Mahomes. No, no, look, he's talented, but this is a kid that I think is missing it all up here. Like this is a kid that he is the, cockiest uh, you know i you you really don't like want to use this word but like i i don't i don't really know of another word to say like it's just like a very like douchey mentality like he is yes. this holier than thou so He's like a prima donna yes such a prima donna Already. he's confident in himself over nothing like he's really done nothing to to be this confident and i just don't see this guy coming in you know you yeah i just that that comment he made like if, uh, earlier on in the season where you know he got trolled by some fan and he, he he does this press conference saying, well, you know, everyone wants to be wearing these size 11 and a half. So it's just like, dude, you just like the, the lack of self-awareness, the lack of like accountability, like he strikes me as like the type of dude who let the whole like Heisman, you know, USC quarterback kind of go to his head. And now he right. thinks he's bigger than he is. He thinks he's more valuable than he is. And, uh, Honestly, I don't think that he's the most physically talented quarterback, and I think he's probably one of the least equipped up in the in the cranium to to be an NFL quarterback. Here's the thing: it's the combination of lack of emotional maturity, 
was she showing now in like six or seven instances, right. right? In different places, in different ways. He is emotionally immature. That combination add into that the weight of expectations and the hype that is surrounding this player and perhaps the most hype player to, to emerge from college football in a decade. It is a dangerous, dangerous combination. A guy that has going to have a tremendous amount of focus on him, a tremendous amount of scrutiny and a tremendously high amount of expectations combined with the fact that he is completely emotionally immature. That's a dangerous combo. It's very dangerous. And especially when he's asking for ownership stake in your team, like, Oh my God. Like, like the, the, gall, the gall to ask that before you've even played a single right. snap. I know. Done, exactly. You know what I mean? He's like never throwing a touchdown pass in the NFL. No. And he's already asking for equity in, in, in the organization. I mean, just the lack of self-awareness. I mean, the, the, just, and, and, and not, and you're right. And, and not only is that obnoxious, it's totally disrespectful right. to all the other players entering the draft. You have a, you have a union that collectively bargains an agreement to protect every player that signs with an NFL team, enters the draft as an NFL player, and to just try and go outside that and get an asset for yourself outside of what is collectively bargained and agreed upon by your union. Okay. It's just, it's just such an ignorant thing to do. I'm sorry. It is. Yeah. But take it even a step further though. Like, the, like w pick the best players in today's game. Like pick, like, are they asking for equity in their, in their right. contracts in their deal? It's like you have guys that are proven like solidified hall of famers, like Super Bowl like winners, like, like, like a Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Where, where is the equity in the Kansas city chiefs in his contract? Like he may have, um, you know, he, he may have the money to to buy into it if he wants to, but like he's not getting handed anything like that as part of a contract. And no, no, no other player in the NFL is. So why is Caleb Williams an unproven to this still rookie still still in college? Why is he going to get equity in 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 an, in, a, in an organization that drafts him? I just I just think it's such a uh, like a lack of self awareness to even ask that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, absolutely. And he's not, he's not going to get equity. It's, right. it's, it's illegal for him to get equity. It's, it's, you know, you have a contract. The players association has a contract with, with the league. You can't give a player equity. All it shows, it just makes you look foolish to even ask for it. And, and show, it shows, it, it's just, there's nothing he's going to gain from doing that. It shows his lack of maturity. All right. One last take, Justin, then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Um, I keep hearing these rumors or, or stories um, uh, in the national media about the Jets eyeing Devontae Adams for the 2023 season. Yeah. And I just think it's uh, it's the 2024 season, I mean, next year. And I just think it is so laughable. It's useless. It's typical New York Jets. Robert Sala is coaching for his job, okay? Zach Wilson just got benched. If there's a quarterback in this league that could use Devonta Adams, I'd say Zach Wilson is probably right up at the top of this list. The Jets needed Devonta Adams this season. It is so ridiculous to think that they didn't make that move a few weeks ago when they had the opportunity to. And now we're continuing to hear rumors and innuendo about him ending up in New York in 2024. Who 
cares about 2024. The Jets, until two weeks ago, were right in the thick of this thing for competing for a playoff spot. They've now lost two games in a row because they can't score a damn touchdown. They went 31 straight drives without scoring a touchdown, which is like some kind of freaking record. Mm -hmm. Their offense is pathetic. The quarterback sucks. He needs someone to pick him up. They should have went out and got Devontae Adams this year. They didn't. Now they're benching the quarterback. They're four and six. They're falling out of the playoff race, right? And, and Robert Sell's job is on his lifeline. What an epic mistake. Make the move, New York. Yeah, so so sorry, just to clarify, you're saying they should do it now. You're, you're saying they should they have done it. They can't do it yes. now. They should have done it two weeks but that, ago. That's what I'm saying, right. Out. You're saying they should have done it this season. Yes, there was rumors right before the trade deadline. Pull it off, give give it, give up the draft capital, and bring the player in. You know, Robert Sala's Devontae Adams might be in New York in 2024. Robert Sala probably isn't going to be. I mean, you know, in all fairness, I gotta, I don't know who you could have brought in that could have made Zach Wilson a, a, a viable quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like you go ahead and make that move. It almost. Um, you know, I I can't see them being any different in any different of a situation. Like maybe a play or two changes, but I still think they're whatever four and six, four or five, whatever they are right now. Like I, I just don't see it changing. Um, but you know what? Like and, and, don't, and don't even forget too. Like it's like oh, they're talking about bringing Devonte Adams in twenty twenty four. It's like they're already looking ahead to twenty twenty four. Like oh, we're gonna have a, a healthy right. Rogers back. It's like we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. It's like. Don't get too ahead of yourselves. It's like you thought you were going to have that this year, and Rodgers couldn't even make right. it out of the first quarter. You know what I mean? So uh, pump the brakes a little bit, and uh, you know I would focus on stopping the bleeding now before you're you're already you know phoning it in and, and trying to focus on on how to address next year when Rodgers is back. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just a it's just not, it's just like a. Typical New York Jets stuff, like you know, yeah. like oh, that's the hype and New York hype machine churning as always. Meanwhile, their season slipping through the cracks. All right, brother, anything else you want to add? I think I'm going to wrap it up unless you got something you want to talk about. No, yeah, just uh, if you're if you're watching the Monday night game right now, it's actually become kind of a good game. 17-14 in the fourth quarter, um, Super Bowl rematch, and you know what? I think. Unless something crazy happens, we're very likely to see one of these teams, if not both of them, um, you know, potentially back in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's. I think. I think this is a likely matchup. I mean, it's kind of funny though because we talked in the preseason about how the AFC was the better conference and the NFC was wide open, and the reality is. Like the path is wide open for the Chiefs. Yeah. And the Eagles are going to have a really tough path yep. to the Super Bowl. You know, I think they're going to at least have one, if not two, legit games uh, to win to make it. So I think the Chiefs are, are, I think the Chiefs are like a safe pet, barring something crazy happening or an injury to the quarterback. I mean, they just look like, it just looks like this, the door is just wide open for them. Yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, get get your bets in right now for for Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, Chiefs to win the AFC, etc. Because it's only uh, the the odds are only going to get uh, worse for you each 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 week. So so lock them in. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, listen, we'll we'll be back recording again next Monday. We'll talk about whatever happens in the Meadowlands and uh, win or lose. And I'm not quite sure what I'm rooting for, whatever it is. We'll be back next week to talk about it all. I want to thank everyone that listened to enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We definitely enjoyed making it. Have a great week, y'all. And we'll be back next week.